Welcome back to our Hogan Levels podcast series on joint ventures. I'm Jen Northam. In part two of our discussion, I'll be asking the question, what happens with a joint venture when the relationship deteriorates? When it's no longer love at first sight? How do you effectively terminate your agreement and come out relatively unscathed? Here to give us all the answers is Antonia Krog. Antonia is a partner in Hogan Lovell's Hong Kong office and member of its corporate and securities group. She's highly experienced in advising on corporate and shareholder disputes, fraud, insolvency, restructuring, and financial services litigation. Antonia's focus is on complex cross-border litigation for multinational companies and financial institutions. Also joining us is Richard Lawton. Richard is a member of Hogan Lovell's Corporate and Security Litigation Group. Based in the firm's London office, Richard focuses on complex cross-border litigation and has wide-ranging experience across many different industries and jurisdictions. Antonia, my first question is to you. What are the main reasons that joint ventures fail? Thanks, Jen. Look, it's a good question um, in terms of setting the scene, and we see this a lot. And I think there are some themes that are consistent that come out in these types of disputes. You know, one has to remember marriages don't last forever, and the same goes for companies. What seems like a really great relationship at the time often doesn't, you know, stand the test of time and things change. Often we see cultural differences, which can be very hard to get resolved. Rich and I are going to talk about, you know, when you have poor integration, you haven't set the joint venture up properly, you don't have the right documents to deal with issues that come down the track. Sometimes there's unrealistic expectations. One party thinks that they're going to get X out of a out of a JV and another one thinks they're going to get Y and it's very hard to sort of bring those expectations together. An imbalance of power can be a real issue where you've got one party who's the dominant party and the other one is always trying to catch up and is behind. And also poor leadership. You know, you've often got directors, you're part of a joint company and you need strong leadership to move forward bringing two companies together. So that's a lot to think about. And in, and Richard, in your experience, you know, you've experienced across many different industries and jurisdictions. What's your experience when dealing with joint ventures that are unsuccessful? In my experience, there are probably two issues which tend to be the most common causes of joint venture disputes. And these apply across the sectors and across the globe in different jurisdictions. And the first concerns the economics of the joint venture. Often you'll find that one of the parties, as the joint venture proceeds, becomes dissatisfied with the financial return that they're getting from the joint venture. For example, it may be that one of the parties is providing technology or products to the joint venture, uh, and they realise that they can make more money by doing that outside the joint venture. They then become dissatisfied uh, and they want to exit the joint venture. On the other hand, the other party remains fully committed to the joint venture and then that leads to tension between them and can result in dispute. Another situation where disputes tend to arise uh, is where the parties have entered into a joint venture and technology has been provided or products or services and there's an expectation as to the quality of the product or the technology or, or the level of services that are going to be provided. But as the joint venture progresses, 
one of the parties becomes dissatisfied with the quality of the product, with the services being provided, or with the technology, and therefore they decide they want to get out of the joint venture because it's it's not meeting their expectations. Uh, and this can be either just looking at the joint venture by itself, but in other cases, uh, particularly if you're talking about a situation where maybe a, a, a product is defective uh, and this becomes public, then there can be wider concerns for the business reputation uh, of the joint venture party who doesn't want to be associated with a joint venture with with uh, defective technology or products when this is actually causing problems not just at the joint venture level, but can cause problems for the wider business and its wider business reputation. Uh, so there are two issues really which, which I think we see uh, as being very common causes of disputes, but obviously there, there are lots of factors. And Antonia, as Richard's talking about, you know, technology and, and assets and skills that people bring to the table, when does IP become an issue? And, and is this more sector specific? In our experience, IP is always an issue in every joint venture. However, there are some where it is absolutely critical. The crown jewels have gone into that joint venture. And that's very much in sectors like technology, as you and Richard have noted, life sciences, um, automotive, and there are some sectors where, you know, it's important but it's not the be-all and end-all of the joint venture. So what is a real concern is when IP is absolutely critical and you've gone into that joint venture really because of the IP, you have to be really careful when you're, you know, dissolving the joint venture or, or deciding to terminate to make sure who gets that IP, who owns the IP, how are you going to get it back? Does the IP documentation match the joint venture documentation? And you need to walk through that really carefully. And, you know, you know, Richard and I, when we're doing these types of disputes, we'll work closely with our IP colleagues to make sure that we get that IP back and that we protect it to rescue it from that dispute. Great. And, and Richard, can you walk us through when you are dealing with a dispute, can you walk us through some of the various exit strategies? And do you find that most clients have a robust exit strategy in place when they come to you? The exit strategy depends very much on the particular transaction documents for the joint venture in question. And some agreements are, are pretty detailed in relation to exit strategies and give a clear pathway through. And in those kind of situations, it's a lot easier. Some agreements have no-fault divorce provisions Others have buyout rights. So in those kind of situations, it may be possible for the parties to exit the joint venture uh, without the prospect of a dispute. In many cases, however, you find that either the transaction documents are, are not that clear. Um, and, and this may just be because at the point that they were negotiated, um, the expectations were that the joint venture would be a success and therefore people didn't turn their minds so much to questions about what would happen in particular situations if the joint venture were to get into trouble. Another situation is where you find that um, the, the documents may be sort of relatively clear, but the issue itself is not a clear-cut issue. So, for example, if a party is seeking to terminate a joint venture because they're dissatisfied with the performance of the other party, 
the contract may give some guide as to what level of performance was expected, but it may be an issue which is judgmental or open to, to, to different views as to what standard of performance would constitute acceptable performance, um, what might be unacceptable. And in those kind of situations, the exit strategy becomes much more difficult uh, and there's more likely to be a dispute because it's it's difficult to say with complete certainty that one party is definitely in the right and, and, and can clearly invoke an exit. And even even if a party is confident on that, the other party may disagree and, and may commence a dispute. So ultimately you get dragged into that process. So all of that means you really need to understand uh, what your legal position is uh, and, and, and be very careful to develop your exit strategy in light of that. Antonio, when you're in the throes of this dispute and when a joint venture is not successful, what role do the directors play in all of this? What's their obligation? Look, the, the director's point is a really important one. And this is where we see uh, a lot of companies, you know, get into tricky waters. And that's because often in a joint venture, party A and party B each nominate their own directors from their from their own companies. So, so these are individuals who are executives within the companies who become directors of the new joint venture company. But what these directors must remember is that in a disputes context, their obligation is to the joint venture company, not necessarily their employer. So you end up in a very uh, difficult legal position where if, say, for example, your employer tells you they want to terminate the JV, you as a director of JV company can't necessarily make a decision to end the life of the joint venture company if that's not in the best interest of the joint venture company. So it's a really tricky path to tread and you have to tread it carefully and be very clear about what your role and duties are as a director. And, you know, often we see those directors getting independent legal advice. If we're advising one of the companies, we often recommend that those directors receive independent legal advice. And another thing you can do Depending on your documents and your JV agreement, you may look at subbing some of those directors. So you may take your executives out of JV Co if you can and put in new caretaker directors. It's an issue that has to be navigated really carefully. That sounds quite tricky. And and let's talk about that legal advice. So when do you step in and, and should companies be seeking that legal advice before they even begin exit discussions with their partners. Richard and I would both say our number one recommendation is if you feel like it's not going well in your joint venture, come and talk to us as soon as possible. You need proper legal advice on the different exit options. You need to have a plan and a strategy to exit from the joint venture, as we said, because there's just so many different areas where you can get tripped up. And you have to follow um, the agreements, your obligations, look after your directors, and also have a strategy for what you're going to do if it becomes incredibly hostile or you reach a stalemate under the document. So we can really help you devise a strategy for your exit and try and help you to have a successful exit. 
one thing that that both Richard and I have noticed is that it, it can be incredibly hard for us if you contact us late in the piece and you've moved some of the chess pieces already and things have changed. It can often be harder to then, you know, backtrack on some of those steps. So we really, really recommend talk to us and talk to us early. And Richard, in your experience, how difficult is it to take a, a client through litigation in order to dissolve a joint venture? And how do you advise them through the process? Depends slightly on how clear the documents are, but quite often in, in, in these situations, uh, if people have come to us, it's because there is a lack of clarity over the situation. There's probably two levels to consider this. One is the, the pure legal level and the, the other is the sort of practical and commercial level. Often you, you find the, the documents uh, are not necessarily clear or, as I mentioned earlier, there's scope for debate as to whether a party has performed properly or not un, under the contract. And that really can be one of, one of the challenging aspects of the process is to work through all of that. Often there, there, there may not be a clear answer, particularly when you're, you're in a situation where uh, you're saying there's been a default, pulling together the evidence to support all of that and, and working through all of that with, with the client. On the practical side, you, you tend to find that um, there are quite a few issues where people are, are very close sometimes to the joint venture and very involved and entwined in the joint venture. And it can be helpful to have people involved in the litigation process who are maybe one step removed because it's, it's very difficult when people are, are very involved personally in, in, in the joint venture. And you find you have, often have to give a lot of practical advice on, on, on how how to deal with the other side when you're in a dispute and everything that you do or say is under the microscope. So there's a lot of uh, hand-holding involved in joint venture disputes, probably more so because you have that ongoing business which is running alongside the dispute and and where everyone's still having to work closely together. I assume as in any breakdown in a relationship, um, emotions are running high. So there's probably, as you say, a lot of hand-holding to keep everyone on that practical path, really. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and, and in a context where, you know, when you're in a dispute, suddenly everything that everyone says, you know, maybe people are making notes of it. Everyone's very focused on it. The lawyers will be focused on it. So you have high tensions, but also uh, you, you need to make sure that, that things are under control because different parties will, will use it, uh, will, will use things against each other when you're in a dispute context. And Antonia, you've got a wealth of experience with disputes and, and cross-border litigation. When looking at international joint ventures, how difficult are they? Um, and how do you advise clients who are looking to dissolve those cross-border JVs? They're definitely more difficult. Um, it's certainly much easier if you have, say, two UK companies to have, you know, an English law governing law clause in English courts or in Hong Kong, the same thing. What becomes difficult is if you're doing uh, partnering with someone in an emerging market or partnering with someone outside the common law jurisdiction. So in that scenario, we would often recommend an arbitration clause for your jurisdiction clause, preferably seated in London or Singapore and with, you know, English law or Hong Kong law, you know, one of the common laws because you're going to have huge difficulties around enforcement potentially. If you end up in a disputes context, 
you want to recover your IP, there's potentially damages, it's certainly easier in a cross-border scenario to go with arbitration. But as I said, if you've got two local companies in the same market, we would probably recommend you you go with local courts in that, in that situation. And Richard, I'm going to ask you the million-dollar question. How do companies avoid all of this? How do they reduce this potential for conflict? And, and what can they build into the agreement from the start in order to avoid all of this future litigation? It's a good question. And I think the key thing is really to be realistic at the time you enter into the joint venture and to recognise that things may go wrong later down the track. Everyone hopes that they won't, but it's possible. Often when when problems arise, it's through no fault of the parties in question. I mean, many joint ventures play out over years and years and things change. It may be wider economic factors at play globally or, or, or just in the marketplace in which the joint venture operates can also be that the technology that the joint venture was built around uh, is no longer at the forefront of the market and and therefore the joint venture doesn't perform or ceases to perform in the way that parties had originally intended. So there are various things that, 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 that can go wrong and it's important to try and provide mechanisms in, in, in the agreement if you want to avoid a dispute to deal with those things, and this can be done on a specific level, on an issue-by-issue level. So, for example, it may be that in relation to financial matters, uh, the parties agree to set limits, financial parameters in, in, in the agreement, whereby if the joint venture doesn't perform at a certain level, then that gives the parties the right to walk away from the joint venture. The problem with that kind of approach, however, is it may be that parties view that as making life too easy for people to walk away in circumstances where it may be that the parties at the outset want to actually make it a little bit more difficult for for people to walk away so that when problems arise, that encourages people to, to work together and try and fix them rather than just um, j- just exiting the joint venture. But there are also more, more, more general things you can build into an agreement, which, whilst not making it too easy for people to walk away, does provide a, a, a structure to, to try and avoid disputes. Uh, so one of these may be to build into the agreement uh, a mechanism whereby an independent, neutral third party comes in to consider issues and problems that arise and and to try and resolve them um, either through negotiation or or maybe even some kind of determination of the issue if if, if that's appropriate. If that doesn't work, and in any case, um, it's important to think about dispute resolution more more generally and, and, and the mechanisms for that in the agreement. Do you want to go down um, a confidential arbitration process pathway if, if there's a problem? Uh, do you want to fight things out in court? Uh, these are all things that, that should be considered at the time the, the, the agreement is, is entered into. Also, just the, the, the termination provisions. Um, it may be that a no-fault divorce provision is deemed to be appropriate by parties and circumstances 
where, you know, whilst that might make it easier to, to walk away from the joint venture, it may be that parties take the view that that's better than having a situation where if there's a problem, the parties get into litigation uh, and all the issues uh, that that gives rise to. So there are lots of different options. And I think the, the key thing really is is just to spend some time at the outset thinking about the, the ways in which things could go wrong. Hopefully they won't. Um, but to just try and build things into the agreement to, to make sure that if a problem does happen, then you have a pathway through um, either to deal with the problem or, or, or to exit the joint venture in a way that's going to be acceptable to you. Now, a lot of great information here. I'd love to leave the listeners with your top bit of advice. So if you were to offer your top three pieces of advice to those who are looking to exit their joint ventures amicably, what would you say? Antonia, I'll start with you. So my top tips would be Follow your joint venture agreement and stick to your termination and notice provisions. As I said earlier, look after your directors. If they need independent legal advice, get that for them and salvage your IP. Do everything you can to keep those crown jewels that you put into the joint venture to begin with. Great advice. Richard? First, it's really important to understand your legal position. So take advice on that and do so as early as you can. Second, think about the practical and commercial issues that might come up as you seek to exit the joint venture. So anticipate those and think about how you deal with them. And third, I I think linked to both of those things, just make sure that you have a very clear exit strategy plan uh, and and that everyone involved in the process understands what it is that you're, you're trying to achieve and how you're going to do that. That's all we have time for. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you all for joining me today. If you want any more information on what's been discussed, please get in touch with today's speakers or visit our new corporate and securities litigation website on hoganlevels.com. As leading global legal advisors for corporate disputes, Hogan Lovells has extensive experience in all types of corporate and securities litigation. Thanks for listening.